Welcome to the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I'm Jeff Cranson. Today, I'll be talking with my friend Suzanne Schultz, the former director of planning for the city of Grand Rapids, who helped with some groundbreaking initiatives related to complete streets, accommodating multimodal users, and breaking down barriers to access. She was also instrumental in helping to implement a statewide complete streets policy, and she's now an urban planning practice leader at Progressive AE in Grand Rapids. Thank you again, Suzanne, for taking time to be here. First, talk about your background, how you developed a passion for urban planning and transportation and policy development. So I have an urban and regional planning degree from Michigan State University, and uh, right out of college, I started working for Mark Wyckoff, who uh, anybody who's been around long enough knows Mark is a is also a font of knowledge. Uh, regarding tons of things related to planning. And so I got into data and talking about farmland preservation and land development. Uh, and then I worked for an environmental engineering firm doing environmental impact statement work. And that's how I got into transportation planning. It was uh, work for MDOT and uh, on the US 23 Standish to Tawas uh, project and um, really started to understand traffic modeling and and the impact of transportation on systems. and. Uh, then I went on, you know, had, a, had another stint with a, a local planning company um, doing county master plans and zoning ordinances and then worked with the city of Grand Rapids for 20 years. Uh, 14 of those is the planning director and managing director of design and development and led from the, the master plan that was done in 2000 to revising zoning ordinances to working on the vital streets plan and uh, policies related to vital streets for the city. So that intersection of what happens on private development and, and private parcels with the public realm, with our streets and our street system, and that interface is so interesting to me and absolutely critical for true placemaking and really making sure both systems work well. Uh, that you've got to think about both in a more holistic way. And so uh, that's really kind of where my passion comes from. So talk about that and what it was like to come to Grand Rapids. I mean, an incredibly revolutionary transformational time in, in transportation. And, you know, this city that's viewed as this conservative flyover country by, you know, people on the east side of the state and doing some incredibly progressive things and, and really collaborative things, bringing together competing interests sometimes to implement all that you were able to do with complete streets and the addition of bike lanes and conversions of four lanes to three and you know so many things like that what what was what was involved in all of that and how'd you do it yeah that's a that's a heavily that's a heavy question jeff <laughs> um you know i think the key is really everyone's values on valuing quality of life on valuing great places and even economic development. What does it take to get transformation and change happen in a community? And I think each time we try to approach it from that perspective and created allies where we went. So for example, uh, Division Avenue used to be an M route and eventually the city of Grand Rapids took over the street. We took it back from MDOT, you know, assumed jurisdiction, but um, during that time, we even worked with MDOT staff on converting a five-lane street into a three-lane street, uh, which was which was pretty dramatic. Now there was insufficient lane widths; they were like nine and a half feet wide. It was a tight corridor, 
But this this entire kind of very large street, uh, we were able to work with MDOT staff on rethinking what that looked like. And part of it was understanding the use of the road, even looking at snow patterns. When it snowed, where did the cars actually drive given these wonky lane widths and how it operated? Um, and really try to kind of develop a solution that we thought would be best for the downtown. Um, you know, working on the Michigan Street Corridor plan and bringing in the hospitals and MSU Med School and Van Endel Research Institute and the Rapid and MDOT in discussions about what happens on a corridor where you've had almost $2 billion worth of development and how do we make sure that the transportation network is really meeting the needs of both today and tomorrow so that we can continue to grow and prosper and thrive uh, within the region. And um, that led to changes in uh, actual interchanges at Ottawa and Ionia and the creation of a new connection to 196 and the creation of a new street connection with a partnership with Grand Valley State University. Um, and so we really, you know, it's not just looking at that one intersection and thinking about what do we do here with this signal. It's thinking bigger than that. It's it's using planning and those partnerships to think about systems and how the entire street network works and it works for all modes of transportation. So when you talk about competing users and, you, you know, Division Avenue is a good example, you've got people who just want to get into town and get out of town. And, you know, really that's all they care about is is limiting their commute time. And you've got other people that are saying, look, my quality of life depends on having access on my bike or, you know, better pedestrian access, safer access, because as you know, you well know, uh, one thing that we've seen a rise in in recent years across the country really um, are pedestrian deaths in cities. So how do, how do you reconcile all of that when you've got, you know, people telling you that they've got really different ideas on, on what's best? Part of that is, is getting into facilities design, but it's also an education process with the community. Uh, we were really fortunate to be able to get a grant, and, and MDOT played a key role on that, on uh, our Driving Change campaign. And the website is still up. People can go to GR Driving Change to see it. Uh, and we really try to educate drivers and cyclists on how to share the road, how to be safe on the road, and really try to make sure that everyone understood the rules. Uh, and so there's lots of guidance that we provided in messaging throughout the community to increase that awareness. And I think um, that ongoing education piece is critical, both in just, you know, if I'm converting a four-lane street to a, to a three-lane street on a road diet, why am I doing that? Because people feel like you're taking away something. You're, you know, you're taking away capacity rather than actually improving the traffic flow or improving safety. Um, and so data has to be behind that to have that conversation. And we got very good at trying to make sure that we had the data up front to be able to facilitate a conversation with both the community, but even politicians, because they're the ones who would get the phone calls about um, a change to the street that, you know, it's something different that people don't understand or don't like. And, you know, in thinking about the other modes, though, too, is that communication aspect. And, and, and you know, everyone, even when they get out of their car, then they become a pedestrian, right? And, you know, you may not be a bicyclist, but there are people who choose to bike. And if they're, if they're biking, that means there's more road for you to use as the car driver because there's one less car on the road because there's a bicyclist. So, um, trying to show that that interrelationship of modes has also been something that was a priority. So, 
I think that uh, that leads to this discussion about complete streets, which again, you had a, a hand in implementing uh, aggressively in Grand Rapids and in helping to draft the, the statewide policy. What what does that mean to you when you hear that term now, looking back you know, more than 10 years since it was adopted? And how do you think Michigan is doing overall on implementation? I'm super proud of the work that the uh, Complete Streets Advisory Committee did uh, so long, just just a short while ago, uh, but yeah, a decade ago, and uh, the work that has been going on in Grand Rapids around that as well, and in other places throughout Michigan. Um, I think there still is a disconnect between engineers and the public um, and having the public understand changes that engineers might want to make. But then also engineers and the expectations of um, different constituencies and what their expectations are. You know, they might see something that happens in Oregon or in Stockholm or some far, you know, some someplace else in the world and say, why can't we do that here? And it's an entire systems change and conversation we need to have everything from federal highway down to the DOT, down to the county road commissions, to local engineers, and how do we think about these systems and how they work together, and how are they interrelated with transportation and land use in different modes? Um, you know, we were just talking this morning about Uber, and if you had said to me 10 years ago, when you get off the plane in Grand Rapids and um, you, you've got your luggage and you're trying to get home, you're going to get into a stranger's car, their own personal vehicle that they use on a daily basis, and you're going to just get in their car so they can drive you home, uh, which would be the Uber driver now. Most people would say you're crazy. And transportation is such a rapidly changing thing, and the needs of the system is greater than it ever has been before. And to me, complete streets is can be one of those true north, kind of that north star um, thing that can guide us in better decision making regarding our infrastructure so that we are thinking of everybody so our systems can become more nimble and flexible uh, as these technological changes come along. And as things change, we need to think about, broadly think about systems in all those modes because it'll allow us to be more flexible um, and and able to adapt in ways that we can't even predict today. I was kind of hoping to get into a gondola or tram in the sky to get from the airport to downtown, but uh, but I guess Uber will have to do for now. I, so, I would love a gondola. <laughs> so, but we are seeing you know some some pretty successful complete streets applied more progressively in New York City and Seattle and Chicago and. Oftentimes that includes, you know, separated bike lanes. I mean, you talked about Stockholm and I always think of Copenhagen when it comes to being on the cutting edge of that. Um, I'm, I'm of the mindset and somebody who cycles and rides a lot that we're never going to coexist because that person, you know, with the car um, might be looking at their phone and I don't have really anything to protect me on my bike. So where do you see things going with, you know, barriers and actual buffered lanes for, for cyclists? I think you're absolutely right, Jeff. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there, there's those different classes people talk about cyclists. You know, the, there's the road warriors, and then there's the cautious and curious. And um, the, the biggest majority of people are not the road warriors. They're uh, people who might just want to take their kids and family out for a bike ride or go with friends to down to the ice cream shop. And 
Um, we do need to do better on our on our safety for cyclists and separated facilities really seems to be a lot more logical in that regard. Um, you you want to think you can share streets, but I think in some cases that's fine. But in others, uh, depending on the audiences that you're really trying to track, it's more necessary. So an example would be uh, 8th Street in Grand Rapids, I was going to say Grand Rapids, in Traverse City. 8th Street, uh, Traverse City put a bike path up along the sidewalk. Um, and you're also seeing that design happen more. Really, I think the key piece of that happened in Indian Indianapolis uh, with the cultural trail. And thinking about how do you put pedestrians and cyclists together. Now, that's not a perfect match either depending on the cyclist and the pedestrian because they're at different travel speeds and you can also have collisions in that case but it's slower moving and less fatal uh, than it would be with a, a fast moving vehicle so um, kind of like a roundabout yeah yeah i mean roundabouts those are you know it depends too you know everybody can have an opinion about different pieces of infrastructure can't they because you know, especially with electrical vehicles, they are so quiet today. And that's one of the complaints of the people who are sight impaired with roundabouts is you can't hear them. So they don't know when to cross. Um, so it is, it, you know, all of these things are changing so quickly. Um, but, you know, how we think about to, the best way to make everyone safe, I think, is one of those keys. But the metrics that we use to determine safety um, also needs some additional examination, I think. Uh, we've learned a lot in the past decade about levels of service and what are we looking at when we talk about level of service uh, for for any, now it only used to be for cars, but level of service for bicycles or pedestrians or persons with disabilities, what does that mean? And how are we measuring uh, these things is really something I think that has been on the leading edge and it will continue to be uh, for a while yet on how what metrics are we really appropriately using into determining street design and safety. Stay with us. We'll have more on the other side of this important message. Did you know Newton's first law of motion states that a body in motion will continue moving at the same speed and same direction while the second law states that an object acted upon by the force will undergo... Wait, I thought this was a snowplow safety message. It is, which is why this is relevant. Don't you think that's complicating things just a bit? Not at all. A snowplow weighs 17 times more than your average car. Right, and snowplows tend to travel at slower than posted speeds. So the third law states that action and reaction are equal and opposite. I think it's easier just to remind motorists to give plows the room they need to do their jobs. Follow at a safe distance and don't drive into snow clouds, things like that. Well, if you're gonna make it that simple, why don't you just say, don't crowd the plow? Great idea. Stay safe this winter, don't crowd the plow. That's it? Yeah, that's it. So talk a little bit about collaboration and how you worked with, you know, MDOT officials in Grand Rapids, and I guess you continue to around the state, but especially as the city planner, I mean, it can really be, I know I probably sound a little bit like a homer here, but it can be a model for the rest of the state and what that collaboration can look like. Yeah, we were so, we've been so fortunate. Eric Kind and Art Green and, and the staff at uh, Grand Region and um, at TSC office, they're um, I think where it came comes from is really a willingness to bring information to the table and try to develop solutions. And it's not about winning and it's not about 
uh, who's right. It's about coming up with the best design collaboratively that we could, but also understanding each other's needs in the process. And, uh, you know, as MDOT staff, understanding that you're trying to balance local demands with federal highway, um, but then understanding locals' perspective on trying to balance the local politics and residents' needs and demands and local traffic and all the, you know, the grassroots, the, the mobility needs that we have as a growing city. And so you have this kind of huge ball of stuff that you're trying to unwind to be able to come up to, with the best development solution. But I really can point to when we did the fix on 196, uh, removed and replaced bridges and, and how those should go. I mentioned Medical Mile just a minute ago and the growing demand we had um, for that area. We were able to replace Coit Bridge and uh, instead of five foot sidewalks, put in 12 foot sidewalks with uh, the two travel lanes that went over the bridge. And the number of people that use that bridge walking, going back and forth between the neighborhood and the medical centers and the, and the colleges is really impressive. Um, and it, part of that has to do with getting the right infrastructure in the right place. And uh, we always appreciated working with uh, MDOT staff in Grand Rapids around those issues because it's it's a hard balance um, sometimes knowing all the, the statewide needs, but really being able to localize it to really what's the right thing for the place um, it was something that we were able to arrive at and and continue to work on with them. So in your work at Progressive, do you see the opportunity or see, I guess, a mindset moving toward more passive stormwater treatments, uh, incorporating those in complete streets like you know, bioretention islands and rain gardens and things like that. So I'm a huge fan of working in stormwater and, and that was a key component when we did Vital Streets in Grand Rapids. It was complete streets plus green infrastructure equals Vital Streets. Uh, so the presence of street trees and stormwater um, facilities, uh, bioretention islands, bioswales, um, using those as a component of the street system uh, and also providing that that cooling, you know, if you have street trees, it can serve as a as a traffic calming measure, as a cooling mechanism, so people can feel comfortable walking on hot sunny days. Helps with stormwater uptake. Um, really, really get passionate about that. <laughs> so I'm glad you asked that question. Um, really trying to make sure that we're th again thinking about that system. There's so much stuff that comes off our roads, being able to do pre-treatment before it goes into the full system uh, is really important. It's something that we do take a look at and, and try to incorporate wherever we can. Well, you know, and I, I got to give former city commissioner in Grand Rapids, Ruth Kelly, a lot of credit because she worked so hard on building that coalition on Plainfield Avenue north of downtown to put those islands in. And uh, I think they've been a success. And I remember somebody asking at the time, you know, how big a difference can this really make? And I'm like, well, you know, one bucket at a time, right? You clean up the water that makes its way to the river eventually. And that's how you got to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, especially, you know, we're a water state and that the temperature and the the sediment that comes off of those roads, that the higher temperature that can affect what, what lives in our water bodies, um, especially if you're near a trout stream, uh, it's really important to be able to at least take that extra step before it goes into the system and um, those definitely do that and i think it was a really wonderful partnership when 
uh, those bioretention islands were put in with the business district and the city and MDOT. We had a grant program. Uh, all those components came together and is really a good example of what locals can do uh, in partnership with others. It, this was just supposed to be a road and mill and resurface project through a business district. And the neighborhood had a vision, uh, which is always key. You got to have a vision to be able to convey really what you're hoping to achieve. They were able to do that and the resources were able to come to be able to facilitate it. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. And I know that uh, some of the kids at Grand Rapids City High right there on the corridor were interested in it and studied it for classes. And, you know, I think it could pay dividends for a long time. Is there anything else you want to talk about, Suzanne, while, you, while we're on these subjects? And, uh, you know, this doesn't have to be the final conversation, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. So many thoughts. I don't I think we have to figure out. Um, I'll just throw this out there. I think we have to figure out how we go from looking more at what the vision is for our systems, vision for our road system is, and, and what happens alongside it from an economic health of the state um, and thinking about how do we, we grow places and get new investment in places that have already received investment um, and have redevelopment and be successful. And it's not just the land along the roads, but the contribution the roads can play in creating that place and and uh, as you know Jeff I've been working on a project on Plainfield Avenue and the tax base went flat along the corridor it's a first tier suburb um, the mall that they had opened 50 years ago and closed 20 years ago um, and, and they really haven't seen a ton of new investment and trying to think through how do we get that aligned with the transportation infrastructure we have is really kind of a critical next step. And I think there's so many places throughout Michigan, we talk about downtowns, but there's also these suburban areas that really need a second look and another conversation about connectivity, about multimodal, about um, land development around them and how all those pieces fit together that I think there's a lot of really great opportunities to create change and to leverage the infrastructure we've already paid for rather than building new infrastructure by focusing development where it already exists. So um, I hope we can have more conversations about that. Yeah, I think I think we should. And I appreciate you're always so optimistic about what can be done um, because there are so many challenges. And when you talk about looking ahead and thinking, you know, I don't, I'm not talking about the transportation system we need now. I'm talking about what we need 25 years from now with technology and exponential changes. It's, it's difficult to say. And uh, yeah. I know you're much more Citizen Jane than Robert Moses, but we have to remember that things were done uh, when they were because people were basing it on the information they had at the time. You know, yeah. it can be very difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And that's I think that's the that's the interesting thing. I mean, I was just watching a futurist and he said most of the jobs that your kids are going to have haven't been invented yet. Yeah, exactly. Right? Go. Yeah. <laughs> so how do we think about that? And what does this look like? Everything from grocery store deliveries. Uh, expecting to be now in 15 minutes, 15 minutes to, yeah, right? too. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so how do we create a, a world when we're dealing with bureaucracies and, and built environments that need to be more nimble and flexible? So it's an interesting problem to solve. Yeah, it is. Well, thank you for taking time to, to share all this and uh, we will definitely talk again sometime. Great. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank you again for listening to this week's edition of Talking Michigan Transportation. I want to thank my guest, Suzanne Schultz, once again. 
And tune in next week when I'll be talking with Dr. Peter Savalainen, Michigan State University Foundation Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering, repeat guest to the podcast. And he'll be talking about his research on road user behavior and some recent research and data on the rise and crashes that we've seen since the pandemic. Stay tuned.